This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. In the spring of 1997, after years of being incarcerated, first in Mexico, then in Texas, Eldon Kidd had finally made it back to his family in Riverside, California. And that feeling, being home again after so many years away, still resonates decades later. It was just elation. It was wonderful to come home. There's no way that I can ever take a shower without thinking, I didn't have a shower for two years. Hot water pouring on your body. And I'm grateful for everything that I have. I mean, stuck in traffic, someone's honking at me. You know, my water heater breaks, I don't care. We'll deal with it. No, I'm not in jail. Still, Eldon wasn't entirely free just yet. In reality, his reintegration into society was a slow and frustrating process. I was on home confinement where I had to report to them by telephone once a day. And now I'm on what they call a supervised release for a period of three years, which means I fill out a report once a month. And these are all things that just can't be avoided. I don't like it, especially because I'm not guilty of the crime. I'm certainly guilty of other crimes, but not this crime. Then there was Eldon's reintegration into his own family who had been forced to survive without him while he was imprisoned. In his time away, dynamics had changed, his kids had grown up, and trust needed to be reestablished if there was any hope of returning to the way things were. Here's Elton's daughter, Eileen Kidd. I graduated from high school and he wasn't there, I remember, but he came home shortly thereafter, um, and I felt like I couldn't leave to go to college away from home because my mother still needed me in my mind. I thought, she can't be happy without me around. I'm still needed here. And there was the issue of the family's faith. The tragedies and the triumphs of Eldon's life caused him to drift away from Mormonism. While his wife Janice stayed a devout believer, Eldon's son Nathan remembers the tension this caused within the family. It's always been a, a problem for them in their relationship. With, with Mormonism, there's, there's not really an opportunity to be one foot in, one foot out. You know, it's a, an encomp a very encompassing religion and organism, and it doesn't really have a model for you to be lukewarm and just participate on occasion the way that some other organizations are set up. When you are not a fully participating member, there's people who care about your, you know, quote unquote, eternal welfare. And so they do what they can to try to bring you back into the fold. They'd come to your home on a monthly basis and share an inspirational message, pray with your family, check up on your, your 
your temporal needs, make sure that you're you're doing okay. And so they would always have somebody who they thought would be someone that would have the the spark with my dad to bring him back, police officers and, you know, men who were kind of more on the manly men side of things, you know, that they thought, okay, well, maybe this guy will have his magic touch with Eldon. And, and my, my father would always be very kind, very respectful, very generous and, and accommodating, but just ne- chose not to participate from that point forward. Still, even Eldon recognizes that the church was helpful in his absence. Part of the, the benefit of being in an organized religion like the Mormons they took care of my family while I was gone. I had some money stashed. They went through it pretty quick. While Eldon was locked up, his wife Janice, with the assistance from the church, had provided for the family emotionally and financially. But now that he was home, he felt a responsibility, either out of pride or guilt, to take back his place as provider. According to Eileen, he would have it no other way. Him coming back and not having a way to make money or a purpose or work was emasculating, and he wouldn't have that. My mom, she probably could have made the bills, and he could have rested, and she would have loved to just had him by her side holding his hand, um, growing old together. But work defined him. Productivity defined him. Of course... Having been recently released from prison, returning to his last career as a coyote was way off limits. So his work options narrowed to a list of less lucrative, less adventurous, and very legal vocations. I fell back on a profession that I kind of knew of moving furniture around. And um, I did a small job locally, and I rented a truck from a famous rental company. And when I got back, they started pointing out scratches and dents on the truck that were there already and gave me a really big bill. So I felt some indignation at that. Being forced to turn over most of his already limited paycheck to a truck rental company for something he did not do struck a familiar and bitter chord with Elton. And in that moment, a voice in the back of his mind began to howl once again. This latest injustice would not stand. A week later, I landed a job to go to Anchorage, Alaska. So I got a fake ID and I got a truck and I rented it for two weeks. And that truck ended up in Alaska and I didn't feel bad about it. And on the way, I felt almost like I really wasn't driving. I was just flying down the road back to freedom. And seeing all the scenery go by after being so cramped and so tight. And it was just truly a wonderful trip to get up to Alaska and look around and see just how big the world is. The trip awakened something in Elton an old, rambling itch, a dormant craving for adventure. And just like that, he felt the urge to stray from the straight path he was on. When I returned 
I started back to work doing light carpentry and light remodeling, a little bit of concrete work, just anything I could to keep busy and get the money flow started. Then I started uh, thinking about easier money and faster ways to get it. I remember being very unsatisfied with being local, being caged, just doing mundane jobs that didn't seem like they were gonna get me anywhere very quickly. Looking at my kids' shoes and seeing that they were a bit tattered and knowing that they were thinking that I was gonna come home and make things better. I wanted to accelerate that process. It wouldn't be long before the lure of adventure and that of a big payday would be too much for Eldon to resist. I started getting back in contact with some of the people that originally helped me to find contacts. And I thought I could do what I was doing before a lot better now. This is American Coyote. I'm your host, Andrea Lopez Villafania. In our seventh episode, Eldon transforms back into a coyote on the increasingly dangerous border. After the two plus years of hell in Mexican prison, the violence, the torture, the loneliness and deep depression, not to mention the painful separation from his family, why would Eldon risk it all again to become a coyote? That's the million dollar question. Everybody would just think, why? You've been through so much. You've already been to jail. You've cheated death multiple times. Why would you then assume the risk and responsibility of that career path? My feeling is that he saw himself as someone who had a calling to do the job. He had the skill set, he had the knowledge, he had the abilities. He may have viewed himself as a, you know, a Robin Hood-like figure and felt that this was kind of his holy quest. While Nathan and the rest of the Kidd family thought they were returning to a normal life, one that included their father being free and at home, Eldon was secretly reaching out to past contacts and taking freelance jobs that allowed him to scout areas along the border. After three years away, his old, reliable methods for crossing had become obsolete. The border had changed, but so had Eldon. While in Mexican prison, I learned some new skills as far as Spanish, innuendos of the culture, negotiating. So I made a trip up and down, all through Texas. Where is there a weak spot? I found one. However, this weak spot was weak for a very good reason. There's a river called the New River it's one of the only rivers in North America that runs north, but it runs from San Luis, Colorado into the Salton Sea. That river, highly polluted, uh, it's basically the wastewater from San Luis, and it goes into the United States. 
So, dry suit, a couple of dry suits. If you float down that river, there's so much polluted foam three feet deep that you can go through and no one can even see you. And if a Border Patrol agent steps his foot into that river, he goes back to headquarters for a hot shower. I was at a certain level coming out of prison that was not so far off from animal. And I would do it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna make this up to my kids and my family. There's gonna be no more church money, there's gonna be no more suffering. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And I did that twice, and I thought, no, this is this is really bad. Um, you're basically, you know, kind of covered in feces. So I quit because it was just, I thought it was too big of a risk on my health and on the health of the people that I was crossing. Plus it wasn't a trip anybody wanted to take. I didn't advertise it as the shit river. As Eldon found his footing again as a coyote, it became clear just how much the border had changed. Crossing wasn't just more treacherous for him, but treacherous for anyone especially those that attempted the journey without an experienced guide. I found a, a Chinese man face down in the canal. I don't know how he got there. I don't know exactly what happened, um, but it was pretty sad. You think that his family, they don't know where he is. People are waiting for him. People love him, and now he's lost his life trying to get into the country. Generally, Chinese at that time would get a visa to Cuba, stop over in Mexico City, pay a bribe, get off, and then work their way up to the border rather than continuing on to Cuba. So it was sad to see him. Um, I pulled him from the water. I was going in, so I was by myself at the time. And uh, just laid him there and um, reported it later on. I think that he was in a place where he would probably be found not too long after that, but I did report it. This grisly discovery did not deter Eldon. After all, being a coyote was what he was born to do. And if he didn't do it, someone else would. He was aware of how it was being done and the harm that people potentially put themselves through with going with another coyote. I mean, the reality of it is on one side of the line, you're a U.S. citizen. If you're born a mile down the road in Tijuana, you're a Mexican citizen and stay out, you know? So I think he always, that philosophy to him just seemed a little bit silly, you know? And he experienced firsthand the reuniting process of families. And I think that's probably witnessing the most powerful human emotion that you can of seeing people finally make it, you know, to a better place through, you know, a dark path to finally get to the U.S. I think that was rewarding for him. It was this feeling, more than the money when the job was done, more than the adventure of the job itself, 
that ultimately lured Eldon back to life as a coyote. The incomparable joy of changing people's lives, of being a hero. It's the only real explanation for why Eldon Kidd would risk life and limb for people he didn't know, right? Why would he wade through a river of feces or walk for days through the desert or even swim miles through an angry ocean at night? Which brings us back to the start of our story, back to our first episode, to the night Eldon Kid braved the dark waters of the Pacific to swim two kids around the border fence from Tijuana to Imperial Beach in the United States. The two young travelers had never been in the ocean before, and fear had gotten the better of them. As we were rounding the corner, the boys had never been in the ocean before and began to cry and bleat and yell and cuss. It attracted the attention of some policemen that were on the shore. For some reason, they decided that the best option would be shoot at us. With bullets whizzing around them, Eldon grabbed the boys and pulled them underwater. Swimming as hard as he could. Got out of danger. Luckily, pistol shots don't go much more than 50 feet anyway. We got back to the hotel. There was actually a bullet had gotten into the life jacket. And for some reason, the boys told their family what a great hero I was for saving them. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Careful, Ellen Kid. Let me rise on you. 
Eldon had once again assumed his role as a master coyote, but it was only a matter of time before news of his return to the solicit line of work got back to his family. When Janice found out that I was actually back smuggling again, of course she was not pleased at all. Um, didn't you learn anything? Didn't that time teach you anything? Uh, do you think you're invincible? Um, yeah, I heard it all. But I, I went ahead and did it anyway. As Eldon's daughter Eileen remembers, life had changed a lot while he was locked up. And she wasn't sure her mom could go through it again. I think she was getting frustrated with him. And she was getting weary. And to cover for him for many years was tiresome. And she, through the workforce and through going back to school late at night while he was incarcerated, I think she grew a little bit of a backbone. And I think that that was different for my dad to come home to a stronger woman. She had been through something hard and she had done it alone. She didn't need him for everything anymore. And so he, he wasn't the hero to her that he needed to be. So he fulfilled that need through his work. It wasn't just Janice who had a new opinion of the man. Eldon's now older kids were starting to formulate their own nuanced views of his work. As his son, Nathan, explains. It's complicated. When you hear the name people smuggler or coyote, you know, th those already have character assimilations tied to them. That's not really someone you would think, hey, I want to have this guy over at my house for a barbecue, or I want to have him around my kids, or, you know, this, that title is one that is so tainted to know my father for who he is and, the, and know that he has that title, you know, I, I, I see it from a very different perspective. Are, are good people capable of doing bad things and vice versa? Yes. Eileen, too, reckoned with the moralistic gray area Eldon occupied. I did not think the risk was worth it. I wished that he wouldn't. I thought it was careless. I thought it was negligent, especially with our emotions and I thought he didn't realize what he had just put us through. And if he did, he wouldn't do this again. So, yes, I, I was disappointed and felt not considered. Because for him to go back would very much hurt my mother. And I was very protective of her. However, the family had little choice but to adapt. The money was good. And Eldon was helping people after all. Plus, he was happy again. It has all the makings of everything that would appeal to him in a job. He knows Spanish. He's charming. He's adventurous. He likes to just buck the system just a little bit and feel like he's cheating death. The adrenaline rush, the meeting new people. He was king of, a, of an underground world. And I don't know that he could resist the praise, the notoriety, the rush, the money, the, the thrill. He has to stay busy. He has to be admired. 
He is a natural hero. And so it plays to all those needs in his personality. And it was a perfect storm. He could never go back to working for the man or having a boss or having a nine to five job, which is what we children probably would have appreciated or liked. Or, but we also knew that it would, a portion of him would, would die inside for him to sell out in that way because he just was meant for a different era. It's never been something that anybody has liked. We've always, you know, pleaded with him not not to do it. Please don't do it anymore. And, you know, at times he'd say, okay, but I think the the emotions and are, are too powerful. They just kept pulling him back. And he doesn't have a sense of fear or a sense of, I shouldn't do that. You know, if he feels that something is needs to be done, he just, he just does it. In just a few months, Word that Alden was again working as a coyote spread throughout the immigrant communities in the Southern California area and beyond. But despite the new dangers and cost across, there was no shortage of new clients. I went to Mexico City to pick up two Chinese men. They were able to get a visa from China to Cuba. And during the layover in Mexico City, They were let out the back door, and I picked them up. And we flew on a small plane to Hermosillo. In Hermosillo, we got on a bus, and we were stopped at one of the checkpoints, and there we were picked up. I could hear what the uh, officials were telling as they put us in a car and drove us up to the border, that they certainly knew what was going on and that I was not part of the usual program. And I could hear the agent saying, yeah, we know what's up here. He's going to jail. We just got to process it. So I knew that I was caught. I had not paid any dues or fees or bribes to do the work I was doing. So as we got closer and closer to the border, Of course, I spoke no Spanish to them, but certainly knew their plan. And they kept reassuring me that everything was just fine and they were giving me a free ride to the border. Although in private, they were saying that they were going to lock me up when I got there. Eldon was facing his worst nightmare. Only a short time after returning to Coyote work, He was now looking at a return to Mexican prison for years, if not decades. It was possible he'd never see his family again. His sanity and life were quite literally at stake. He had to think fast. We were very near the border. I went into a place where it was quite close to the actual immigration stand and decided that my best thing would just be jump out of the car and run straight for the border. So, of course, the car stopped. I was quite willing to be shot, but there's actually a line in the street that's about 100 yards before the actual check station. And I thought, well, this is going to be my chance to get away. 
so if you're running to escape, you don't have to make it all the way to the actual check booth. There's a, an invisible line or sometimes a noted line that's right in the street that's quite a ways away from the border. The police chased after me. Other people joined in. It was only maybe a 500-yard sprint. And when I got to the border, it was dark. And the border patrol told me, stand down, stand down. Eldon had jumped out of their moving vehicle and sprinted toward the American side of the border. It was his only chance at avoiding another stint in Mexican prison. And when I got to the border, it was dark. And the border patrol told me, stand down, stand down. And I was unfamiliar with that term. I thought, do I stand up or do I sit down? I didn't really know what that meant. But of course, now I know it means to stop where you are. To Border Patrol officers, here was a terrified American being chased by a gang of Mexican officials. They now had a choice to make, a choice that held Eldon's future in the balance. So they took me into custody. And they asked me what I was doing just thinking on my feet. Of course, when I was interrogated, I said nothing. I said nothing for quite a while. But then I formulated a story and kept it very brief. The, the cardinal rule of liars is a, a good liar will put a lot of details into his story, but an excellent liar will say almost nothing. I told them that I had gone to a bar and went home with a lady and found out that her husband was actually some police official and that I just was running for my life. So they let me go. Actually, it was uh, one of the happiest days of my life. It was my miracle day. I probably would have had to do many more years in Mexican prison after that. I had no money, no wallet, not even shoes. I got in the back of a pickup truck that pulled into a gas station, climbed into the tarp, and they took me all the way into Tucson. It was the happiest ride of my entire life. To most people, a close call like this one would have meant the end of their career running people over the border. But Eldon wasn't most people. Instead, he did what he'd always done. He adjusted his tactics. And that meant he needed a partner once again, someone on the other side of the border who he could trust. There was a, a Chinese lady that I had crossed a relative and she asked me if there was some way that she could help. She needed some money. And she made a couple of successful trips. Whereas I was crossing the people, they were loaded into a van that she was driving. 
And she made it. And it was very helpful because it did look peculiar for one European American to be in a, in a van with a lot of Chinese. So it just looked normal. However, during one crossing with his Chinese partner, disaster occurred. She was pretty sleepy on the way there to do the pickup. And Sandy's shoulders got the best of her. She flipped the van. That was the end of her career. Now in need of a new partner in crime, Eldon reached out to an old friend, hoping he was once again game. So he called me and said, well, come down and check out what I got. That's Tim Burrison, Eldon's first partner in crime from back in the early 90s. Tim had stayed in touch with Eldon and his family throughout his time in prison, and he still had Eldon's trust. He had gotten out, and we had seen each other a little bit, but then he had gone down to Texas and was making money down there. He'd started passing people again, and he said, you know, I think we could be mutually beneficial. No, I needed the money. I, I had lost my house in Santa Cruz, and I was in, separated from my wife, and I was trying to make money, and... Um, Doing the construction was just distasteful to me at that time because I'd spent all this time and energy and, and then came to nothing, so I was looking for something else to do. So he flew me down there to Texas, and I drove down. I saw what he was doing and how it was working, and I said, yeah, I can do this. On the next episode of American Coyote, the dynamic duo of Eldon Kidd and Tim Burrison resume their coyote operations in the Lone Star State. Go to Midland and us that we'd get vans. We had an old crappy van that we would drive with all the equipment, and that was like the decoy van. And Eldon realizes a higher calling. There was someone hiding behind a rock. I didn't bring my gun at that trip. And I was really, really nervous about it. And then suddenly, I felt a bubble of protection around me. And I'm not trying to be like a spacey, hippie kind of guy, but I felt this bubble of protection around me and the child. And it made me feel invincible. American Coyote is created and produced by Eli Corris and Joshua Schaefer of Pegalo Pictures. This episode was written by Eli Corris, Joshua Schaefer, and Alvin Cowan. Executive produced by Jason Hoke and produced by Andrew Richards of Imperative Entertainment. And produced by Alvin Cowan. Original music for the series is composed by Joshua Klebe. The original corrido, The Ballad of Eldon Kidd, written and performed by Daniel Schaefer and Los Two Guys out of Austin, Texas. Assistant editing by Max Drankpole. Sound recording by Nick Sinakis and Matt Stouter. Sound editing by Joshua Schaefer and Nick Sinakis. Sound design and sound mixing by Craig Platty. 
Poster design and graphics by Jeff Quinn. Production legal by Sean Fawcett of Raymond Legal PC and Davis Wright Tremaine, LLP. Host record by Deborah Reeves and Signature Sound in San Diego, California. Please subscribe, download, and share these episodes and follow us on social media for extra content and updates. I'm your host, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. Thanks again for listening.